Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. All right, all right. Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? You guys good? Did you guys meet somebody new, make a new family member, give away some money, get some money? You guys did all the things? You did all the Bible in that time there? Good. Good to see you guys. Good morning. If it's your first time here uh, in this community at the Mountain Church, it's an incredible church. Uh, One of the pastors here, my name is Samuel. I've got four kiddos. They're upstairs. That's Beth walking right out the door right there. Everybody wave at Beth. Man, what a lovely time. Love you guys so much. Uh, Excited that uh, we get to spend some time with family tomorrow uh, and today. Just love, love, love. Any opportunity to wear sweaters uh, and hang out together uh, because the weather's finally cold and I'm really, really happy about that. Uh, Finally broke and both of my teams aren't doing well this year in football, the Patriots and the Bucks. So you guys got to pray for me. but Jabron's Michigan Wolverines, they're crushing it right now. So real happy for him. UCLA, not so much. Uh, <laughs> but uh, love you guys, man. Love this community. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to get plugged in. Our home groups have been really, really fun. I've been a part of two. I've been a part of the men's group. been a part of the business group on Friday. And I absolutely love, 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 love home groups. So I really want to encourage you to get plugged into it. We've got men's and women's kind of events and things you can get plugged into. A lot of really, really cool things happening, including a Thanksgiving outreach of which you can donate or volunteer. And you can check out all the information for all those things in the lobby. I love this community. I love getting plugged in. And I love seeing you guys get plugged in. The richness and the wealth of this community is seen in actual time spent. So this Sunday time is really fun where we worship and we teach and we do all those things. But I encourage you to eat together climb together, run. If you like running, I don't know why you like that, but if you like running, do that with somebody else. If you like talking, do that. If you like knitting, do that as well. Uh, There's a lot of really great ways to spend time together, love on one another. I encourage you to do that. You're really, really incredible and amazing, and it's important that you share your life with others. Uh, I want to pray for us in this time of giving. Uh, I've been talking about uh, Deep Wells, and it's a family series. Uh, and I was seeing the, the difficulty in handing down generational wealth, uh, developing it, accumulating it, but also the difficulty in handing down generational generosity. Uh, oftentimes, wealth or generosity start fighting one another, and there's an odds and a tension there. The accumulation of wealth or the principles of generosity, these things are really, really hard to host in one life. Uh, and if you manage to get the get it done, it's really hard to hand down to the next generation both of those principles. Uh, But these things are both in God. Uh, Generosity, he gave his son for us, uh, and wealth or great, great things. Cattle on a thousand hills, famous verse in regards to the amount Father has. So both of these things exist in God. So I want to pray that we would learn as a community to host and to give to each generation after us great wealth, and great generosity. You guys with me on that? And if you lack it in your generation, that you would be able to get this impartation from God as well. Are you guys with me on this? Oh, cool, awesome. So uh, I want to pray an impartation. It's not so much mine to impart as much as it is uh, God's to impart. 
So if you could pray with me, if you can close your eyes and bow your heads, and if you could ask God uh, to, to teach you and give you wisdom, wisdom in finances, wisdom in wealth, wisdom uh, in <clears throat> management, stewardship, ownership. So wisdom we're praying for, and also a heart of generosity to give like Heavenly Father gives. So, Father, we pray right now in this community that you would give great wisdom for wealth and you would give great generous hearts to each one of us in our family units. Lord, that you would teach us in this community even how to host great wealth and host great generosity. I pray that there would be millions that flow through this community, not only to each individual family, but to others. I pray that mindsets of wealth and prosperity as you have designed them would begin to be established in our family units. They'd begin to be established in this church. God, that you would redirect and redesign our approach to finances uh, in a way that wouldn't disallow generosity, but in fact would excite us at the prospect of giving away much. Because in the same way you have given much, you also have much. And we pray for the heart of Father in finances and the heart of Father in giving. In Jesus' name, that that would be imprinted upon us today that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us in wealth and in generosity. In Jesus' name, amen. So you can give. Uh, there's envelopes. There's online. There's all of those ways, of course. You're really, really amazing. And uh, I've sensed a shift in my life, which I'm pretty excited about. I just want to share before I start preaching on deep wells, uh, although I'm excited to uh, pray and preach on that. Uh, but one thing I wanted to kind of mention to you, and he'll be in the second service, but Tim and Pam, uh, our lovely, lovely friends who minister here often, they've got a lot going on in their life, so I'm going to be praying for them in the second service. But at some point at the end, I'm going to ask you, even though they're not here, they'll be at the second service, to pray with me for them. Uh, they, uh, they, uh, they labor in this community as teachers, as pastors, and they're really, really amazing, and they're so faithful. His father's got some health things going on, and he's got some like a hip thing, and then Pam's got health stuff. There's a lot going on there. So I'm just going to ask for this church family to pray for our dear friends, all of our dear friends, Tim and Pam. You guys with me to do that at the end? Okay, so we're going to pray for them. We're going to pray that God would bless them, that God would cover them in this time. He'd give them tons and tons of grace. We love them so much. And uh, one thing I've been seeing in my life shifting uh, or really added is I got this word from somebody that kind of confirmed it too, and it, and it quickly summarizes what God's kind of doing in my life. And he said, hey, God's made you a double-edged sword for ministry and business. And I was like, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. But I've been seeing it happen in my life that God's led me into different places to creating business, to encouraging others to, uh, and to learning. Man, there are, so many, uh, there are so many really amazing business minds in this community. You may not know it, but there's some brilliant folks in business uh, in this community and there's a lot of a really amazing dreams of business that God has placed in this community. And I believe that God's stirring this community pot for these mindsets. Uh, there's pitfalls of pursuing uh, finances or pursuing wealth. Uh, and those can be greed and the love of money. Uh, but I, I want to kind of communicate it real clearly that in God is great prosperity and great generosity. And these two principles, whenever you, whenever you see and or perceive something in God, uh, it may be hard for us as human beings to express both of them. Uh, but just because it's hard for us doesn't mean that it's not possible. And so we learn and we grow and we don't operate in fear because God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. 
so we don't fear finances, uh, <clears throat> and we don't fear uh, these ingredients that can happen to us, these pitfalls that can happen to us. But in humility, we ask God for wisdom on how to walk it out. In humility, we ask God together. And it kind of connects for, for me what we've been talking about in Deep Wells, which is what does it look like for a community to operate generationally, not just within one specific generation? The beauty of wells, as we're going to study them and we've been studying them, is, is it's a blessing not only for a single generation, but it can be a blessing for generations to come. Uh, the prosperity of a well, the symbolism of what a well is, really it's not so much for us modern relevant wells uh, because <laughs> we don't really have many wells. And if your home's on a well, good for you. We're all jealous. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> But we don't really have wells as a, as, as a, as a modern-day uh, term for prosperity. Ours would be different. But in those days, wells were symbols of prosperity. They were symbols of thriving. And in arid places, if you got a well, community was rallied around it. Great traffic was done around it. And it was a blessing to families and to communities and possibly for generations to come. So when we see the dynamic of what it looks like to see prosperity and or to see a blessing in one generation, that's different than the approach of seeing a blessing or a prosperity of God's goodness and righteousness in many generations. If you even look at the, you know, pastor's kids or you look at uh, kids of rich parents, uh, handing down uh, prosperous ideas and lifestyle, it's not easy. Uh, it's not easy to do. Uh, many of us see one generation thrive in a thing and the next generation squander it or fail in it or run from it. And so the, the puzzle and the challenge of walking with God in your own life is one puzzle. But the next puzzle is how do you actually give this connection to God to the next generation or to generations to come? So can this church be not just a church of this generation, maybe say 20, 25, 30 years of church, but can it be a church that for hundreds of years walks with God? That's not often seen. Oftentimes churches that go from one generation to another generation tend to fall into some version of a religion uh, or something that's just very, very different than walking with the Holy Spirit and God. And so it's, we see it to be a challenge. It's a real challenge. Can you see this challenge? It's not just a challenge in terms of church culture. It's a, it's a challenge in terms of the wisdom of finances, uh, seeing many generations operate with great wisdom in finances. So there's a great challenge to seeing something happen generationally. Uh, so just because it's a challenge doesn't mean we, we shouldn't pursue or we shouldn't grow in our ability to understand what it means to walk with God and then to communicate effectively what it looks like to walk with God. And so what I've kind of titled today's message is uh, how to be generationally blessed. But the, the coined phrase I'm working with here just for this message is generational messaging. Uh, and we're going to go to Proverbs to start off with this generational messaging uh, mindset. Because what I say to my kids, my son Brixton, uh, my daughter Brightly, uh, my daughter Presley, and my daughter Monroe. I have four kids, and they're all wild, you know? But I've noticed a really fun thing, and it's that I get to have really, really interesting conversations with them, and especially with Brixton because he's eight years old, so he's starting to want to go to work with me. That was weird. Yesterday I came to study and prepare my message, and he wanted to come with me. 
And I was like, buddy, you're just going to be alone, like, upstairs, and I can't really, like, play with you, hang out with you. I've got to focus. He's like, that's fine. That's fine. I just want to go. I was like, are you sure? You're going to be in a room by yourself for about three hours. You're sure? He's like, absolutely. He didn't even blink an eye. He wanted to go to work with dad. I was like, okay, awesome. And so the questions he's asking me, though, you could tell he's really wanting to understand how it all works. You'll ask me questions about why this, why that. Somebody was, we were driving and somebody had all this furniture in the back of their truck. And so they were in the back of their truck, one person, and he was holding all of it down. And Brixton's like, Dad, isn't that illegal? I was like, yeah, buddy, it's technically illegal. He's like, well, man, a cop should probably find them and pull them over. And in my head, I was laughing. I was like, that's totally something I would be doing. You know what I mean? Like holding down furniture in the back while somebody's driving to me going, all right, you're good. Keep going. Oh, there's a cop. I got a duck. You know? And, uh, but my son has this, this like really interesting mindset where he starts to think about these things. He starts to process them. So all of a sudden I see live action, this process of my son desiring to understand, desiring to perceive, desiring really what I would say is to find wisdom. And this is really cool because if you see in Gener- uh, Proverbs 4, 1 through 9, you see this, it's called a patriarch, a patriarchal appeal. Uh, and so this father's appeal happens many different times in Proverbs and it's said in the language of father to son, but we can hear it as an appeal to us as people generationally. Because it says, hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. And in verse 3, it gets really interesting, because then we see a generational pattern span three generations, and messaging that happens between two generations. It says, when I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me. So for the rest of this up through eight and nine is actually what a grandfather said to a father who now the father is saying to a son. So we see a generational messaging happening here. And it's important to recognize it because when we have the task, kids or no kids right now or kids growing up or whatever it may be, we have this task before us on how we're going to communicate and connect the next generation to God. And we have some fear things that get inside of us. Like I've got to, and sometimes we're so invested in fear uh, and the fear of sin and the fear of what sin has caused in our life that sometimes we don't realize we're getting a little heavy on the fear of sin. And we're like, don't do that. It's going to ruin your life and you're going to die and everyone around you is going to die. And it's really, really bad. Trust me. And sometimes we don't understand we've gotten charged up on the pain that's come from sin, the damage that's come from sin, that our messaging is a little bit fear-based. Can you recognize this perhaps in some of your messaging? I can recognize it. I'm like, ooh, that's interesting messaging that I'm doing there. What is that inside of me? Why am I afraid, more afraid of the devil than I am believing in the promises of God? And this is important that we recognize the, the, the narrative that's coming out of our mouth to following generations. Because the following generations, you're going to notice they don't respond well to fear, manipulation, and religion. So control, manipulation, and fear, they're off-putting when you're trying to give it to the next generation. 
I was a youth pastor, which helped me see very clearly that fear messages, control messages, were very unsuccessful to children of Christians. So whenever it's like, hey, don't have sex because of all of these bad things, the messaging wasn't always effective, and sometimes it actually caused a great rebellion in young people when it was just fear-based. And so when we understand and when we're really leaning into what, how God communicates to us, we learn to not only live by his righteous precepts and avoid evil and walk away from wickedness, but we also learn how to then communicate it to the next generation in a way that is truly indicative of how Heavenly Father talks. Because if you really, really pay attention to how God talks, he definitely warns us against evil, but he he encourages us and he promotes life. And he, he says, I haven't given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So God hasn't given us fear. He's given us these things. So we know that these things are sufficient to creating godliness. We don't need fear to create godliness. We need power, love, and a sound mind. So you and I, we can feel free to go, you know what? Actually, just because a bunch of other Christians have these fear messages for the next generation, I'm not going to have it. I'm not going to say this generation's worse off than the next generation or the one before. I'm not going to say this generation's doomed. I'm not going to have these fear messages to the next generation. And I actually found this quote by George Orwell, and he says, each generation imagines itself to be more intelligent than the one that went before it and wiser than the one that comes after it. I just loved it, man. I was like, yeah, every generation has this tendency to be like, yeah, those last guys are a bunch of buffoons. And the next ones, whoa, they're stupid. Boy, good thing our generation doesn't have any of that. And so we see in verse 3, it says, when I was a son with my father, tender, and it goes on to then uh, tell him, he taught me and said to me. So he's saying, okay, this is what my, grand, my father said to me, now I'm saying to you. Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Really, really interesting. So observe the commandments, but then it's not just observe the boundary of life. It's also saying live. Isn't that fun? Like live. Smell some air while you're hiking or something, you know. Maybe climb something that has you fall, you know, and then, but not too far, you know. Just a little sprained ankle and you're okay. You're living at least, you know. Go into the desert and do some off-roading and just breathe in some dirt. Live, you know, live. Breathe it all in. It's really good. When we go off-roading with my kids, they're just a dirt ball for like three days. They're just literally dust. And it's so fun. Like they don't take showers. They sleep in it. They wake up in it. Uh, they eat marshmallows in the morning from the night before. This is living, you know. This is, this is wisdom. And uh, it's good. So get wisdom, it says in verse 5. Get wisdom, get insight. Get wisdom, get insight. So what is it saying? It's giving messaging to the next generation that's trying to tip him off to something. Look, your pursuit matters. What you pursue, what you set your focus on to get matters. So this isn't a, an interpersonal, intergenerational rivalry thing. Like, you need to get what I've got. What, it, what it's beginning to do and, and it has the wisdom to do here is to actually point the next generation not just to what I've told you about, but to a third party, to the, to the other agent there, which is wisdom. 
So look, I've told you things. I've given you commands. I've told you things. I've given you instruction. Yeah, keep those things. They're good. But what I'm also going to say to you is get wisdom. Go get it. Go find it. Where's it at? Chase it down. Knock on the door of it. Look for it. Listen to its call. Go get wisdom, you know? And it's beginning to coach and encourage uh, the next generation or that next person to have a pursuit mindset. Because when we teach people to pursue, it's actually very much a healthy relationship design between them and God. When you seek ye first the kingdom of God, there is this pursuit agency that if it can exist inside of us, it actually creates beautiful blessing in our life. So one of the greatest blessings I, uh, I think we can give to the next generation uh, is, is the blessing of understanding how we're to set our resolve about what we're going after. Yeah? So if we, if we can teach and we can equip the next generation to understand, like, there's a lot of things you can pursue, but here's what I'm going to appeal to you to pursue. It's to get wisdom. It's to get insight. I always had this feeling that if I can convince somebody to pursue these things, it would mean that they would find God. They might stumble a whole lot along the way. They might find a whole lot of false wisdom stuff, a whole lot of lies and deception that they believe at first. But I always felt like if I can convince people to pursue God, pursue wisdom, whatever they stumbled on, if they maintain that pursuit of God, they'll be able to recover. Even if I'm not around them to, to coach them, instruct them, and, and to correct their ways, if it's like, I'm going to keep pursuing God, and whoops, tripped up. Oops, I believe that liar. Oops, I gave all my money to that person. Oops, that Christian hurt me. Oops, that pastor hurt me. If they can keep their eyes on God, the author and the perfecter of their faith, all of those other things will become relatively trivial in the long picture. So when we're trying to have a blessing be generational, when we're trying to have these wells that aren't just contained to one generation, I believe it's about coaching pursuit. It's about appealing to pursuit. Not just receive what I've given you. Listen to me. Wouldn't you just listen to me? I'm trying to tell you what's wise. I'm trying to tell you what's good. Look, there is an appeal to listen and to be humble, but there's also an appeal to pursue wisdom, which in one generation you might find a whole lot of wisdom, but I don't think any generation should say they found all the wisdom. So if I'm giving instruction, I'm giving feedback, I'm giving coaching on something, I'm also recognizing the deficiency or the lack that is in me. So I can't tell the next generation to just pursue the fullness of what I have got. I need to tell them to pursue the fullness of God. You guys tracking with me on this? This is an important design because it's inherently humble. It's inherently humble. Like, look, I've found some good things. I've made some good decisions. I've prospered in some ways. But you're going to prosper in other ways. And you're going to find different things as well. And you might be able to hang on to some of these legacy strengths and principles. And you might be able to live those out as well. That's cool. That's good. So you can inherit what I have found and what I've done in wisdom. But also, I would encourage you to go after the fullness of these things. Because that's beautiful. So it's pursuit-based. Do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Referring to wisdom. Love her, and she will guard you. How fun is this? I love wisdom. It's one of my favorite things. And it's beginning to try and say, look, here's, here's what's going to happen. There's two ways that this can go. Either one, you're going to pursue folly and live in folly, or two, you're going to pursue wisdom and live in wisdom. 
And this is actually, uh, this is actually where, where it begins to coach and edify. Look, there's two ways these things can go. You can go this way, and the path of wickedness in, uh, is inherently this, and the path of righteousness is inherently this. Uh, and this looks like, to me, coaching great, powerful choice. So when you tell somebody that wickedness isn't an option, then you're lying to them. When you tell somebody sin isn't an option, you're lying to them. The reality is, is that sin is an option. Wickedness is an option. And we can't trick the next generation and be like, it's not an option. <laughs> you're not going to do it. <laughs> because that is trying to achieve righteousness through control. This is actually the methodology of religion. I'm going to control you. I'm going to control your behavior so you're like God because I know better and I'm going to control this thing. But when we trust God, we approach the next generation not through the means of control, but through the means that God approached us, which he gave us choice. From the beginning of time, Adam and Eve, choice. Choice. So choice is there whether we want to tell the next generation or not and whether we trust the next generation or not. I've heard, I've heard us say at different times, they're going to make a dumb choice. They're just going to blow it, and they're going to screw it up, and they're going to make this whole thing bad. And they very well may. They very well may. I mean, I can't lie to you. I mean, it's, the Bible has generation after generation of the next generation making bad choices, one generation making good, and then five making bad, and really, really bad, and really, really bad, and wow, that was really bad. And oh my goodness, I can't believe that's in the Bible bad. And so there's this reality that it may actually not end up that good. It may actually just continue to end up bad for that person's life. Some people die never turning back to Jesus. And this is a sad thing, for sure. For sure it's sad, uh, but if we choose to control because we're afraid of that ending, then we're operating out of fear. So when we, when we think about our generational messaging, it can't be out of a place of fear and control. It has to be rooted in this place of trusting God. Trusting God that he's standing at the door of their life and knocking as well. And that your message, your narratives, they're actually going to be attempting to be partnering with God's pursuit of their life. So we see that it goes into this place of uh, do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Proverbs 8, 17 says, I love those who love me. This is, pers- this is wisdom talking. And those who seek me diligently, find me. So we know that the dynamic of wisdom uh, is such that when you seek it, you find it. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, but let him ask with faith, lest he be like the, the, uh, the, the, the ocean that is tossed to and fro by the winds. So I, it, it's just set up this way that wisdom is inherited when we pursue it or when we ask for, for it. Uh, I didn't make up this dynamic. <laughs> uh, this is biblical. Solomon asked God for wisdom, got wisdom. James talks about asking for wisdom. You and I, we don't get wisdom until we, we begin to pursue it or begin to ask for it. And here's what's really interesting is that we stop getting it as soon as we stop looking for it. So you and I may have up to some point, how, no matter how long you've lived, uh, 60 years, 80 years, 30 years, doesn't matter to me. You may have got a certain amount of wisdom up to this point, and it's because you pursued it and you sought it. Here's the challenge. No matter how much wisdom you've accumulated, you shouldn't turn off the spout of humility 
that led you to pursue and seek it. Because if you turn off the spout of humility that led you to seek it, ask for it, then what happens accidentally by default is we kick into pride, self-reliance, and these things dislocate us from the grace of God. God gives grace to the humble and he resists the proud. So what we have a tendency of in our maturity as we grow and as we age is we have this tendency to rest on our laurels, to stand on what we've known and we've realized. And this tendency, we've got to realize, it actually starts to disconnect us from being able to have generational messaging and a generational blessing. So stay humble. Stay hungry. No matter how old you are, no matter how many amazing things you've done, no matter how much you've exercised in wisdom and found in wisdom, stay humble. Stay humble and don't compare yourself to others because this won't help you stay humble. Because if you've reached a certain level of maturity, you'll look around and go, I'm pretty awesome. And that's a problem, right? That's a problem because then you'll stop pursuing wisdom because comparatively, you're good. You race the race and you're done. You already finished. All these other jokers are still running. So this is why we're not supposed to compare ourselves into one another because one, it either provides shame and guilt for those that are way, 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 way behind or two, it provides pride for those who are way ahead in their maturity. So these are good outcomes of comparison. We don't like comparison for this reason. So uh, remember that, woe is me, a man of unclean lips. Remember this part of the prophet says, woe is me, he has this vision of God and in it he has this recognition that he is sinful and that God is holy. This is actually the most appropriate perspective to find, uh, that God is holy and we are not. And this simple revelation and vision should unlock a feverish pursuit of the goodness of God, of the grace of God, of the likeness of Jesus. This alone should represent it to us very well what it ought to look like. Uh, and when we, when we try and have generational messaging that is like only and exclusively, this is who I am, this is what I've done, you should do the same. It's worked. Then we're kicking into self-reliance and we're actually beginning to give generational messages of self-reliance. Are you guys tracking with me right now? In our maturity, we may be actually communicating self-reliance to the next generation which ends up being prideful messages. It ends up being messaging that's very much rooted in human uh, self-sufficiency apart from God. This is where the Tower of Babel was rooted in this very idea that it was strength apart from God. It was achievement apart from God. It was building and growing apart from God. I could see the same thing happen in church culture. I could see the same thing happen in a talent or a skill in communication. A pastor can get pretty good at communicating, and all of a sudden he can start to build the thing on his skill of communication. The same thing can happen in a worship capacity. We get good at it. Everything starts sounding good all the time. And then we got enough money that we buy the best instruments and the best stages and the best lights and the best smoke and the best environment and the best sanctuary. And all of a sudden what we can do with our own human ability is create an atmosphere and a sensation that feels like the presence of God. So we tend to, as human beings, start to create life hacks. You know, shorter versions of a thing. We try and copy and paste. We try and simulate. 
we try and get to whatever that pure thing was that was hard to get to. What is its substance? Let's recreate it in this synthetic. So we could do the same thing in our churches. We could do the same thing in our businesses. We could do the same thing in our families, in our life. We could do the same thing in our vocations, our, our, our pursuits of whatever it may be. We could start to hack the system, learn what it is that we should do, copy and paste. Getting to our promised land by the strength of humans, by the strength of our own self-reliance, our own self. This is a challenge because when you see this generational messaging happening, you begin to actually understand that wisdom is found, wisdom is got when you find humility and you walk it out and you ask God, please teach me, God. Please teach me. Like, I'm so excited to learn about business and everything everyone has around me to say about business. I'm like, this is awesome. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? But what about this? But what about that? And guys, I'm just like Brixton when he has questions about why that guy is holding down furniture in the back of a truck. I have all the questions. I have every single one of them. I want to understand the full thing, all of it, all of it. Why do we want money? Why do we need money? Okay, we need it. Okay, what, how do we go get it? And how do we get it without greed? Oh, man, this is a tough puzzle. What do we do about that? And then, and then I've noticed the more I make uh, isn't necessary. So the more I make is not correlated to just me naturally feeling like giving more. You ever notice this? You get more money, and you're, you don't have a natural inhibition to just give more. You have to make that choice. Like, I'm getting more, I'm going to give more. I'm getting more, I'm going to give more. And you say to yourself, self, align yourself with the heart of God, which means you have much and you give much. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Verse 8 says, prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you, and if you embrace her, she will place you on her head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. I love this. This is beautiful messaging. This isn't just communicating what the consequences could be of wickedness and of folly. It's actually promoting and communicating the significance of the appropriate and the right path. It's creating a vision and saying how beautiful the vision is. It's saying, look, pursue wisdom. Look how good it is. It's not just saying run from wickedness, run from folly. That's its own narrative. But it's saying, look, pursue wisdom. It's really awesome. And if you pursue it, it will honor you. And it'll be like a, a beautiful piece of jewelry on you. It's so powerful a vision because it's positive. It's cathartic. It's actually creating something in our life, not just prohibiting us from something. And this is what I would edify and I would encourage the community. If we want to create deep wells of generational blessing, it's that we communicate the vision of Jesus rather than the prohibition of the vision of the devil. So let me be really, really clear on this. Rather than saying, hey, don't hang out with the devil. The devil's bad. You're going to be bad. It's bad. You're bad. You're bad. It's all bad. It's all bad. They're all doing drugs. They're all sleeping together. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. Rather than prohibitive messages of how awful the devil is alone, communicate the value of life in Jesus. Because there's deep joy in Jesus. There's deep freedom in Jesus. Fear is driven out. Fear is driven out and love remains. And how beautiful is it to experience perfect love and have fear driven out? Like, have you had this happen in your life? It's awesome. When fear was driven out of my life by the perfect love of Jesus, I was like, ah! 
Why didn't anybody tell me about this part? But maybe they did and I didn't hear them. This is amazing. And I began to realize that we have this tendency to give people fear so they won't go to wickedness. We trust fear a whole lot. Maybe I can put a little fear into them. It'll keep them away from it. Don't touch that. Don't climb that. Don't walk there. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. All of a sudden, we get focused on behavior modifications. But the heart, the heart of the matter is so important. The heart of the person that we're giving the message to is so important. And I have a confidence that if I speak the truth in love to the next generation, even if they fail for 10, 15, 20 years, and I just keep speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love, and giving lots and lots of grace, and speaking the truth in love, and inviting and beckoning them to the path of wisdom, I have confidence that God will win. That God will win in their life and the devil will lose. I, there's this equation in my head that the Bible says, the one in me is, he that, that is, is greater than he that's in the world. So there's just this subtle confidence that exists in me always, that whatever the enemy is conjuring up and doing, if God's doing something in my life and I'm partnering with it, it doesn't matter what the devil's doing because he's greater. So I'm going to win if I'm simply partnering with God. And I believe the same thing about partnering with the next generation and the next generation the next generation. If we make it about Jesus, if we make it about God, if we make it about partnering with God, and we don't make it about bad, we don't make it about the devil, and we don't make it about just these anti-wicked messaging, then we can actually encourage and promote great relationship. See, when I married my wife, it wasn't because somebody told me that if I didn't marry her, I would be alone for the rest of my life and miserable. See, nobody was like, hey, if you don't marry Jess, you're going to suck, you know? And everything you do is going to be bad, and you're probably going to marry the worst person ever, and it's going to be the worst. See, I didn't move towards my wife because I was afraid of not being with her. See, I moved towards my wife, and I married her because I loved her, because I wanted to spend time with her. Because when I wasn't spending time with her, I was frustrated about not spending time with her. And I was like, maybe we should spend time together, you know? And then having to say goodbye to her every single night was just the worst, wickedest thing ever. I was like, I don't want to say goodbye to you. I want to I wanna be married to you. I want to live in the same house as you or under a rock. I don't care. If it's with you, I'm not too concerned about it, you know? And then I bought a house with her, and, and we didn't have furniture for a bit. You know, we didn't have a couch for a bit. I did have a ping pong table, though, in my living room. Guys, it was, it was spectacular. I would recommend the first year of somebody's marriage, they do exactly what I did. <laughs> Buy a house, don't have any furniture. Who cares? You got a house that's appreciating furniture, depreciates. Doesn't matter about it, right? But I'd also recommend, hey, send your wife to do a graveyard shift from five to one or two and things like that because what happens is you come home to a clean house and to a meal and from your work and then she goes to work and then you play ping pong with all of your friends every night. When she changed her shift, was it a year and a half, two years in? Two years in, she changed her shift. We had the same shift. I had a rude awakening. I was like, what do you mean my guys can't come over? What do you mean we have to get a couch in the living room instead of a ping pong table? What do you mean I can't have fun every single night? What do you mean? What is this? Come on. This is how it was going the first two years. She's like, I don't work at night anymore. 
we're spending time together doing something with other couples or something. I'm like, oh, that sounds fun. No, no, I love having fun with couples. Now, this is, you know, 34-year-old Samuel loves that stuff. I promise I do. So if we ask you to go on a double date, it's not begrudgingly. I promise. <laughs> I, I wanted to encourage you today, as we finish this time, there's an activation I actually wanted you to do. So I don't often, like, do a thing like that. But I wanted you to get your either your notes out on your phone. If you're a pen and paper person like Elisa, you can get a pen and paper out and you can start to write. I wanted actually for you to, to author your generational messaging. Uh, so you may have kids, you may have been already saying things, but I want to I want to ask you to really focus on it in this way. Like, what is God saying to you, and what is God saying to your kids? You saw the 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 the, the paternal appeal in Proverbs four. You saw what he was saying. You saw what that messaging looked like, and you saw it go from grandfather to father to son. And, and I, I want to ask you, like, what is your messaging? What is the voice of God speaking in you and through you for you and your next generation? You may not have kids. That's fine. It's a great exercise for you to do before you have kids. Like, what is God saying to you? Because when you get to kids, it gets a little chaotic. So you may not have this activation moment. But I want to encourage you, even if your kids are older, what is this generational messaging that God is creating and authoring in you? So I want to encourage you to do that before you leave today. Even if you start it, just write down a couple notes on it. You can finish later. It is a little bit of a robust assignment. But that's what I wanted to, I wanted to ask you guys to do is, is to really think on this, to really allow yourself to hear it, uh, and not just for your blood family, but also for this church. What I love about this church, we've got an awesome youth group. We've got an awesome children's ministry. And and when it comes to us being spiritual fathers and mothers in the community, it looks like us having this generational messaging that's in line with the heart of God, that loves wisdom, and it, and it walks away from wickedness, that loves God and says no to the things of the enemy. There's a powerful yes, and there's a powerful no. Both of those things are important to learn. Resist temptation, resist the devil, submit to God. Both of these things are important. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. These ingredients are so valuable. And how do we curate? How do we create messaging for the next generation so that this thing could be a deep well of community that goes way beyond my lifetime, that goes way beyond my time here as pastor? Generational messaging, so, so important. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.